Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year to you. And welcome to all of you in-house. And welcome to you joining us online today. I don't know about you, but that song that the worship team band just sang and played, uh, new to me today. But what a great song, don't you think, for a, a new year. Lord, a new year is just before us. We're just three days in. Do a, a new thing in me. Don't you think that ought to be our heart's cry, what we're saying to the Father and what we're praying, whether you're a believer who's just a few months into your faith or whether you're 50 plus years. We always ought to be open to the Father to do a new thing in and through us this year. Is that your prayer? I trust it is. Father, as we look to your word now, would you speak to us about this vital matter? Even if it's an old truth to many, let it dawn to us, arrive in our minds and in our hearts in a fresh way that it stirs us, I pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. All through the month of December, we've been celebrating the advent of Jesus Christ, his, his coming to earth, his first coming to earth. And today I want to talk to you about the second advent, the second coming of Christ. The title of my message today is a simple one, The Next Time He Comes. I fear that uh, this doctrine, that this teaching that I'm on this morning perhaps has fallen into neglect and even some disfavor in our times, partly due, I think, to the great number of loonies, that's what I would call them, who have discredited this great truth with their attempt to set a date when Jesus would return to the planet, only to see that date, the date come and go, and it not happen. Let me just mention a few of those to you. As 1000 AD approached, many Christians in Europe predicted the return of Jesus and the end of the world. It was to happen on the first day of January. An army of pilgrims, actually sold their belongings and trekked to the city of Jerusalem to await the return of Christ. And of course, it did not happen. Reformist Hans Hot rounded up 144,000 select saints to prepare for Jesus' return in the year 1528. And as you know, 1528 came and went and Jesus didn't return. You know the name Christopher Columbus. If you don't know much about him, you know a little bit of the poem that kind of in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Well, he did more than just sail the ocean blue. He wrote a book called the Book of Prophecies. And he wrote that around the year 1500 AD. And it included a prediction that the end of the world... And Jesus' return to planet Earth would happen in 1658. 1658 came and went. He didn't return. One of the more 
bizarre false claims that I came across in my prep for this message today occurred in Leeds, England in the year 1806. A hen laid eggs bearing the words on the eggs, Christ is coming. Many people heard about it and actually visited the hen house where this supposedly happened. Then someone described closer examination of the eggs that on the eggs was smeared ink. And thus they, they discovered this, that the eggs had been written on and forced back into the chicken's body. Poor chicken is my thought. What do you think? Uh, a New York farmer, William Miller, proclaimed that Jesus would return on March the 21st, 1843. Now, he got a hearing because he based his study on Old Testament prophecies. So, people took heed. Many people did. When it didn't happen that year, he set a new date, October the 22nd, 1844, and hundreds of his Hundreds of his followers sold their property and possessions and gathered with him to greet Jesus when he came back. His failure to arrive on that date has become known as the great disappointment. Now this next one and last bizarre prophecy, I remember this one well. I was pastoring in Nova Scotia at the time and in the mail one day came this little booklet written by Edgar Wisenant. After 14 years of studying biblical prophecy, he was a former NASA, NASA engineer. He announced that the return of Jesus would be September the 12th, 1988. That was the title of his little book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Would Return in 1988. Sold 4 million copies. I didn't pay for mine. He sent me a free copy in the mail. That was 32 years ago. And when you think about all those discredited prophecies, what a woeful series of false alarms and unfulfilled expectations, dashed hopes, and dreams of many that did not come true. But... Does the fact that so many miscalculations have been made, does that mean that Jesus will not one day return? Is the whole idea of his returning to earth a colossal hoax? Well, to answer that question, of course, we're going to go back to the source. And when I ever, when I, whenever I speak to you of the source, I'm talking to you about God's word. And so I take you to John chapter 14, fourth book of the New Testament, John chapter 14, where Jesus is speaking on the night before he left the, uh, before he went to the cross, and a few weeks before he was left the planet, and he said. To his disciples gathered there, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, say these next six words with me, would you? I will come and get you. 
so that you will always be with me where I am. Seven weeks later, Jesus left the planet. Acts chapter 1 records the event, and I'm reading to you. He was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him, rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but say these next words. Read them with me, will you please? Someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And there are over 1,800 other prophecies in the Bible speaking of Jesus' second coming to the planet the next time he comes. And then, of course, you know about the Apostles' Creed. You have some knowledge about it, no doubt. It is a statement, a fourth-century statement, that is a rather inclusive statement of what still today every church in this city would say these are the basic doctrines that we hold as near and dear and true. And you're familiar with some of the statements in the Old English. It reads like this. He ascended into heaven about two-thirds of the way through the creed. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from thence, next three words with me, he shall come. He shall come to judge the quick, that would be you and me, alive. He will come to judge the quick and the dead. So I, I declare to you this morning, he will come. And, and there are those who make unfounded and untrue predictions. He's still, he's still coming. And there are those who don't believe it. And the scriptures speak of that. Way over towards the end of the New Testament, Peter, disciple Peter, wrote these words. Most importantly, he said, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come. And he goes on to say, mocking the truth and following their own desires. Do you know what's a sad thing in the times in which we live? It's not just those outside the church and those who would say, I don't believe, who kind of scoff a little bit at this truth. But today there are even those who would claim to be in the family of faith who really would sooner not hear this truth mentioned and wonder if maybe Jesus really meant it or whether it's really going to happen. But he says, Scoffers will come. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. But then Peter goes on and says, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come. 
So these next moments together, let me talk to you about that. The next time he comes, I want to just remind you of four truths, and here's the, fir- here's the first. The next time he comes, it won't be like the first time he came. It won't be like that. We're all so familiar with his first advent. We've been the whole month of December celebrating the first coming of Jesus Christ to this planet. And it was pretty much, as you know, a secret to the whole world. About nine months before Jesus came, Mary had a personal and private visit from an angel. Joseph had a similar experience some days or weeks later. And then the day he was born, who shows up? A few shepherds from a hill outside of Bethlehem. Most scholars would agree that the wise men, we like to show it in our Christmas plays and pageants that they all arrived the same day. But most scholars would suggest that the wise men may have arrived even months later to visit the Christ child. And even the Bethlehem residents had no clue, apparently, about the significance of this baby born over there in a stable on the edge of town. And the king of the land, Herod, Well, obviously, he had some awareness of the prophecies of his coming, but he didn't know the when. He didn't know about the how. And so the first time that Jesus came to planet Earth, there was was no fanfare. There was no press release. There was no grand entrance. One of our familiar Christmas carols puts it this way. You know the words. How silently, how silently, The wondrous gift is given. Saying what? It was a very quiet entrance when he came. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming. But in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. The first time he came, He did not come to sit on a throne or to occupy a palace, but to dwell in the hearts of those who would receive him. But when he comes back, it won't be like the first time. It won't be a secret known to only a few. Let me read to you. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, speaking of the next time he comes, it reads, Look. He comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone, everyone will see him. No, it won't be a secret return. Back to 2 Peter chapter 3, we read part of this passage moments ago. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear. He will set the heavens on fire, and the elements will melt away in the flames. Think about that. You can't keep something like that a secret. Take an 8.0 earthquake and add a 50-foot tsunami, and then add a dozen or so volcanoes, and on top of that, add a few nuclear bombs exploding. And then multiply all of that by 1,000 and you will begin to see the magnitude of Jesus Christ's arrival the next time he comes. It won't be like the first time. He's not coming 
as an innocent baby, but as King of kings and Lord of lords. So the first thing I want you to notice there now, the next time he comes, it won't be like the first time. And to make that point a little stronger, the next time he comes, it will be unexpected. It will be unexpected. Several times through the Advent season and just a few moments ago, we sang the words to that carol again. Come thou long expected Jesus. The devout Jew of Jesus' day lived with an expectation and and a longing that Jesus would come. He was expected by many. Even the wicked Herod that we mentioned moments ago lived in fear of his coming, but he did have an expectation that he would come. But the next time he comes, the next time he comes, Jesus, speaking of that day, Matthew chapter 24, reads like this, the master, speaking of himself, will return unannounced and unexpected. This coming September... It will be 20 years since the day. If you're 25 or older, you remember the day. You'll never forget the day. I was in my office at Kingswood University right here in Sussex, and the phone rang, and it was my wife, Willow Ann. And she said, you better go over to the student center. A, a, a plane just hit one of the two, one of the twin towers in New York City, and so over I went to the student center, and as I arrived, the students were beginning, very quiet crowd entering the student center that day, crowding in to watch the large screen TV there, and everyone was quiet. Everyone thought it was a terrible accident of an airliner hitting one of the towers until the second plane hit the second tower, and then we all re- realized it was... It was It was much more than an accident. It was a deliberate attempt. And everyone in that quiet student center with nothing but the sound of the TV, everyone was in shock. Well, why is that? Because it was so totally unexpected. Jesus said, when I come back, it's going to be like that. He said it this way, Luke chapter 21. Don't let that day, don't let that day catch you unaware. He goes on in that passage and says, that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times, making the point that it will be unexpected. Now, I suppose you'd think I'd learn, but uh, it seems I forget or get careless. I should lock my car at night. But uh, it was been a couple of years ago now that I come out, come out one morning and when I opened the car door, The dash was open and the console was up and everything that was in the car, insurance papers and receipts from the car going to the garage, everything was strewn all over the car. What a a mess it was. And the thief didn't net much, maybe a few uh, Tim Hortons coins or maybe even took my card, I'm not sure. But of course, you're thinking like I'm thinking, why didn't you lock the car? Well, if I had known the thief was coming, I would have locked it. However, I did not. Jesus says, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly, knowing that we'd all relate to this, as unexpectedly as a thief. You see it? The next time he comes, it won't be like the first time. 
The next time he comes, it will be unexpected. Are you all right with that? Are you? Are you all right with that? The next time he comes, I want you to notice the third thing here. The next time he comes, it will be a terrible day for the unbeliever. Jesus spoke often of that coming day. On one occasion, recorded in Matthew chapter 25, he told the story of a wedding uh, to illustrate about his return and of the 10 bridesmen, bridesmaids who were to prepare for the coming of the bridegroom, which of course would be him. Five of those 10 prepared, five did not prepare. And then they belatedly came to the door where the marriage celebration was going on And there's such, when you read through that passage, why not read it later today, Matthew 25, there's such a a sobering finality to these words. It says, when they got to the place where the wedding was being celebrated, the door was locked. And they called out, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. And the answer comes back, I don't know you. Jesus spoke often of the next time he comes, speaking of those who are not ready, being assigned to that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He speaks of those being sent, those not ready for that day, being sent into outer darkness. It will be a terrible day for those who are not ready for those who are unbelievers. The last book of the New Testament, of course, the book of Revelation, tells us that when Jesus returns, Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, listen to these words. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Terrible day for those not ready. It will be a terrible day for those who have not put their faith in Christ. C.S. Lewis, in his excellent little book titled Mere Christianity, compares Christ's first coming as a baby to God landing in enemy-occupied territory in disguise, coming as the baby. But Lewis, speaking of the next time he comes, puts it this way. He's going to, the next time he comes, he's going to land in force. We do not know when, but we can guess why he is delaying. He wants to give us the chance of joining his side freely. God will invade. And when that happens, it is the end of the world, and it will be a terrible day for unbelievers. Lewis says, we will see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else, something it never entered your head to conceive comes crashing in. For those who do not believe, it will strike irresistible horror into every creature. Ah, but I have good news now. The next time he comes, It will be a wonderful day. It will be a wonderful day for believers. Lewis says, for the 
unbeliever, it will strike irresistible horror in them. But for the believer, it will strike irresistible love in the heart of every believer. In his much-loved hymn, Stuart Hind penned these words, and we're going to sing it at the very close of the service in just moments. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation to take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art. Heinz's response penned in that favored hymn of so many echoes John the Revelator's response. The second last verse in the Bible, John records Jesus' words as this, yes, I am coming soon. And then he records his response, amen, come Lord Jesus. Lewis reminds us that that will not be a time on that great and final day. It'll be not be a time for choosing. It will be on that day we discover which side we have already chosen. Now today, today, this moment, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back, the scripture says, to give us that chance. And it will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. Let me ask you this morning. Have you made your choice? Maybe you're here this morning in this room. And you can't say of a certainty. I have made my choice. I know my name is written down. My trust is in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're with us online this morning. You cannot say of a surety that my name is in the book. I have made my choice forever. Let me share the gospel with you one more time. You see, God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to choose to follow him. But every person, without exception, every one of us have broken off that relationship with God. The Bible says all have sinned, and that means without exception, every one of us have entertained thoughts that we know we shouldn't be thinking. We've spoken words we regret. We've done things we know we should not have done. All of us have broken off that relationship, and I believe there, there is a sense in all of us that this is so, and, and we almost instinctively do things to try to bridge the gap between sinful us and a holy God. Maybe we try to be good neighbors and good persons and support worthy causes and, and, and go to church, whatever. The scripture makes it clear, makes it so very clear that there's nothing that we can ever do to bridge the gap between us and a holy God. And the news gets worse. The scripture makes it clear that all of us, because of our sinfulness, have to be punishment, have to be punished, and that punishment is death. But here's the good news. God loves us so much, he could not let that happen. And so God himself came down to this planet the first time in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, lived among us for 33 years, and then died on the cross. And that cross bridges the gap 
between sinful you and I and a perfect holy God. Amazing as it seems. He established that bridge and on that cross, he took the punishment for sins that I have committed and sins that you have committed, making it possible that we be forgiven for our sins if, and this is the last thing, it's not enough just for us to believe this gospel story, but we must act on it. In other words, we must choose sides. And now is the day of choosing. By admitting that we're sinners and asking God for forgiveness and putting our trust in him as Lord and Savior. Asking for his forgiveness and pledging ourselves to him and living for him. Have you done that? You know, you could make, if you're here this morning and have not made that forever choice, if you're with us online this morning, you could make that choice even this moment by praying a prayer similar to this one. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sins. And I ask you today to forgive me for my sins. Father, this day I choose Jesus. I choose to put my trust in him just now. I choose to repent of my sins. I choose to ask you for your forgiveness. Write my name in your book. I want to live for you and serve you. And so when you come back, the next time you come, my attitude, my words will be, come, Lord Jesus. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.